Hello and welcome to Inside Intercom. I'm Liam Geraghty. Today's guest is Joel Bynes, the author of The Me-Tail Economy, Six Strategies for Transforming Your Business to Thrive in the Me-Centric Consumer Revolution. Joel is one of the world's leading operational strategists with a 30-year track record of improving performance at retailers, brands, and consumer companies. You'll find his analysis everywhere from the New York Times to CNBC, amongst others. On this episode, Joel walks us through some strategies you can implement for your business. He calls them the six C's, cost, convenience, category expertise, customization, curation, and community. We also get talking about the quantum consumer. Never heard of one? Well, let's head over to studio to Joel Bynes to clear things up. Joel, welcome to Inside Intercom. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Liam. It's my pleasure to be here. I really appreciate you having me on. So before we get into the weeds of what we're going to talk about, the me-tail economy, um, could you give us a sense of your journey up until this point, a bit about your career background? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, how much time do you have? So <laughs> I am um, in the U.S. context. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of what you call a blue collar kid. So I grew up uh, basically taking summer jobs and jobs in between um, school years and so forth. Uh, I, I gravitated towards retail when I was very young in my teens, kind of grew up in the stores. Um, after I graduated from a small liberal arts college in Maine called Bates College, I uh, fell into retail on the advising side. I kind of wound my way through a couple of troubled companies. I found that I was very interested in the sorts of problems that troubled companies had, and I had a little bit of a knack for helping turn those companies around went off to business school. And after business school, I met really one of the legends of the turnaround space, a guy named Jay Alex, who had a consulting firm called Alex Partners. I stayed there almost 20 years. And I just retired from Alex Partners actually at the end of 2022. And now I'm running a, just a small advisory firm called Spruce Advisory. It's it's just my own thing where I can serve clients and, and so forth. I spend a lot of time writing. I have a second book I'm working on. I spend a lot of time speaking, mentoring, and, uh, you know, that's that's the journey. I, I could have given it to you in three hours or that's three minutes. So there's the journey. That's great. The whole shebang. Yeah. So I, I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, that you're writing uh, another book, because today we're going to be kind of talking about this fabulous book that you've written, The Me-Tail Economy. Thank yes. you very much. Thank you very much. I got a got a prop right next to me. <laughs> so six strategies for transforming your business to thrive in the me-centric consumer revolution. And, there, there's a lot to unpack, but first of all, like what exactly is the me-centric consumer revolution and what makes it different, I suppose, to other times we've heard the word revolution kind of bandied about in the consumer space? God, I love that question. And I, <laughs> I deal with that very specific question in the book, as you know. So I think the word revolution is overused. I think that most things that people call revolutions are really just evolutions, and, you know, we, we like to hang really dramatic names on them, but e-commerce is just a change in the way we shop and uh, the Internet was a change in the way we interacted and so on and so forth. But what the me-centric revolution really means is that if you think about the way the retail economy worked for millennia, not decades, not centuries, but millennia, you had these powerful people called merchants and they had the, the opportunity to choose products, 
to decide what to sell to you, where to sell it, how much to charge. And really consumers who always had agency, you could always sort of take your business elsewhere, but they never really had any power. And so the me-centric revolution is because of access to information, which is basically universal now, you can find out just about anything you want on any product uh, and any manufacturer, and then access to one another, and that's the big unlock. We now have the power as consumers. That's created a power inversion where consumers actually have power over the merchants who are trying to sell them stuff. It was a slow evolution, but when I recognized what was happening, I realized that this is actually revolutionary. This is a revolution. The consumers have taken control of the narrative and they don't really care what the heretofore experts have to say about something. They care much more about what some uh, Instagram influencer or YouTube pundit has to say about something. But what I say in the book is many of the listeners are probably old enough to remember a magazine called Consumer Reports in the United States. And there were similar magazines in Europe. And when I was a kid growing up, if you were going to make any sort of a large purchase, a car, some white goods, an appliance of some sort, you would consult consumer reports and you would look at their reviews and you would take their authority into consideration. Well, today, me-centric consumers in the me-tail economy, they turn to consumers' reports. They do not turn to consumer reports any longer. We've rejected the authority. So I apologize for the long-winded answer, but that is the fundamental premise of the me-tail revolution. And to me, that power inversion is a revolution. And we have to rethink as executives, we have to rethink everything we do in the context of that shift in the power dynamic. And it, like like you say, you know, everything's been flipped entirely on its head. You know, you have customers who are now creating the stories about products. They're deciding where to buy, how much they're willing to pay. Because I, I think it's something like we've all experienced, you know, a yes. customer service employee in the past, you know, explaining to you that a company's processes don't permit a refund or whatever it is, um, <laughs> you know. But as you say, now we have this cult of customers realizing that they have this power and they can start yeah. refusing to accept the way things have been for, like you say, millennia. Yeah. And let's take it one step further, just just because I, I find this very interesting. And I write about a company in the book called Lolly Wally Doodle. It doesn't really matter other than I love saying that name. <laughs> but let's take it one step further, where today, if you disappoint a customer, and this is the story of Lolly Wally Doodle, that customer can turn around and become your competitor now. It's never been easier to source merchandise, to put merchandise up in a beautiful website for sale on a Shopify website, to have a third-party logistics company ship product for you. And so not only can your customers sort of reject you as a place that they would do business with, but if you make them angry enough, they will actually turn around and become your customers. Now, just think about that for a second. And if that's not a revolution, as I say to people, then you don't need my book. If you don't see that as a complete total upending of the way we learned how to market to these reliable demographics of consumers, those of us that are my vintage, if you don't see that as a complete revolution, then fine, the book is not for you. And it, like, how did that flip happen? Because we had all the, you know, these mantras of customers, king, that we always kind of embraced. Mm-hmm. You know, the how is is technology. There's no question about it, but it's it's not technology per se. It's what technology has allowed us to do. It's what technology has enabled. 
It, it has enabled very frictionless movement, first of all, from a physical location to a digital location. There's no friction to hop from one company's website to another company's website. And there's also no friction to connect with like-minded individuals and then disassociate with those like-minded individuals as well. So the technology has created just this pure frictionless ability to move around in a way we never could before. One of the, the things that I say in the book where I take it one step further, and this is actually what my next book is about, is I also introduce this concept of a quantum consumer. Now, you're looking at a philosophy major. I'm worried my uh, lack of physics knowledge is going to hinder me here. Listen, <laughs> the last physics class I took was when I was in high school. So, so <laughs> I am a philosophy major, and I, I, I can't explain quantum physics to you. But the concept of quantum physics is that a particle can exist in two places simultaneously. I don't understand it. I don't have any idea whether it's true. I personally can't validate it. This is what the smart people tell me. That's who consumers are today. As a consumer, you're not just me-centric, but you are also quantum in that I can be two completely different consumers at the exact same time. The example I use is I could be in line waiting to fill my car up with really inexpensive gasoline because I'm very cheap and gas prices are something that offend me. And while I'm waiting, I can be scrolling on my phone on Saks Fifth Avenue for some luxury fragrance or some, some article of clothing that is priced the way that luxury products are priced. And that creates a, an incredible challenge for marketers to figure out how to connect with me because I'm not a reliable demographic anymore. And, and in fact, you know, it's not like people have changed. We've never been reliable demographics. We just have never been able to do anything about it until about 20 years ago as the internet came along, as we started to meet one another online, as we started to embed this into ourselves. So I say it's not e-commerce, that's not the revolution, but the revolution is the access to the information and the access to each other that is enabled by technology. So. I mean, I love that. I love, you know, the whole cat in the box is, you know what I mean? In one yeah. box, in one universe, it's alive. In, in the yeah. other, it's not. God bless I mean, Schrodinger. I don't understand yeah. that either, but it's fun. It's fun. It's So for businesses now freaked out by this, <laughs> this quantum physics analogy, you know, these six strategies that you talk about in the book, the yeah. six C's, can you take us through them and, the, and their significance? Yeah. Let, so let's do a flyby and then you tell me if you want to drill down on anything. So the book is in three parts. Uh, I promise I'll get to your question in one second. No worries. The first part of the book makes the case for the Metail revolution and the quantum consumer. And if you don't buy it, that's fine. It's, it's just my point of view. It's well-informed over you know 30 years post-college and another seven or eight pre-college of doing nothing but working with consumers. But I might be wrong. <laughs> but if you buy it, then you move into the second set of the book, which is the strategies for making connections with consumers in this retail economy. And then the third part of the book, and we can get to this if, if you'd like, is the holy crap, okay, we're doing everything this way. We acknowledge the retail economy, and these are good strategies. How do we think about changing our business? How do we think about changing our operations? So it's in three parts. So people can find which part, one, two or all three that are interesting to them. But that's the way I tried to break it up. So the middle part of the book is about the six strategies. And the basics of it are 
to regress to the things that we all as human beings understand and know create real meaningful connections for us. That's the purpose of the six C's other than the fact that, you know, to sell books, you sort of have to have a, a catchy subtitle. And this is something <laughs> my editor liked. So the six are cost, convenience, category, expertise, curation, community, and customization. And we can take each of them one at a time. But the point that I make in the book is I'm a management consultant, recovering management consultant, but this is not a management consultant oriented book where I take these six things and I basically say, if you do these six things, you can be great like company X, Y, and Z. I, I reject that line of, of business book. What I basically say is the six C's are ingredients. So take them just like you're on the great American cooking show. You take them and you use them however you see fit. These are the six ingredients that help you build relationships, but I'm not saying all, none, some, one. You have to figure out which ones are relevant to your consumers. You have to listen to your consumers, and then you have to employ them relentlessly. So you, you tell me where you'd like to go on the six C's. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that. I love the, the whole thing of being able to just pick and choose the ones that apply to your business. That's great. But it would be great just, just to get a, a brief kind of rundown on, on the six. Yeah. Okay. So let's take them one at a time. So cost, cost is the easiest one to understand, but it is actually one that is, is, is kind of violated is too strong of a word, but it's one that, that companies get wrong. So if you are going to be a cost competitor in a retail economy, you have to be the lowest cost for whatever it is that you're selling because consumers know now. So you cannot compete as a cost retailer and charge more money than someone else that is selling the same product or service. Now, you can have an element of cost, but if cost is your strategy, you know, if you are a hard discounter, then you have to be the least cost place for the consumers to get it, or they will know you're not, and they will not give you credit for being a cost competitor. So that's that's the point. By the way, that's the point about all of the C's, but cost kind of galvanizes it for everyone. It's easy. And cost is the easiest thing for consumers to check. So the next one is convenience. The thing that companies miss on the convenience element is convenient for whom, okay? So if you're going to be a convenience competitor, it is convenient for your customer. End of story. Too many companies take purported customer conveniences and decide that they cost too much to offer. And so then they pull back on them or they try to trick customers and so forth. And that this is one of my favorite chapters in the book. I tell some great stories about mistakes. The other thing I do, which is a death sentence for a management consultant, is I actually tell stories about companies doing things wrong and I name names. So it's a fun read because I'm not afraid to call out various companies for making mistakes. And there's some really good stories in there. But the point is convenient for whom? Convenient for your me's, convenient for your customers. If it so happens that that customer convenience can also be a business benefit to you, fine. But if you invert those and you start with how do we make more money by offering a customer convenience and you're starting in the wrong place. Okay. Category expertise. We all know what category expertise is. It's the difference between walking into a big box category killer, which just basically carries stuff under the middle of the bell curve and doesn't really have a lot of expertise when you need help. And your local shop, 
that truly understands the the part you're looking for or the cheese you want to buy or the wine you want to pair with your food and gives you that expert opinion. And so what I say is, if you're going to be a category expert, you have to know everything or know where to find it if you don't know something, if you get stumped. And that's what true category expertise is. Customization is a fascinating chapter and people confuse personalization and customization. I I don't believe in this word personalization. I think what people call personalization is basically like trying to drive a car by just looking in the rear view mirror. You can't see where you're going when you do personalization based on historical things that I've done. You're not you're not getting a total view. That could be a whole different podcast, but customization means providing the customer something that she thinks no one else can get. And so the key lesson here is customization is difficult. True bespoke customization is difficult, but technology has advanced to the point where virtually any product and any experience can be sufficiently altered to provide the illusion of customization. So you don't have to be a customizer. You don't have to be a bespoke tailor, Savile Row, make one at a time, but You have to provide the illusion of customization, which is, I say, N plus one choices. It's however many choices you need to put in the mix so that the customer feels like they're getting a customized experience. And manufacturing technology has never been easier. Service delivery has never been easier to to customize these trips, whether you're a travel agent or you're a manufacturer making tennis shoes. Curation, my favorite, favorite story in the book is about curation. Curation is difficult to scale, and that's the point that I make in the book, because true curation creates an environment where when I walk in, I think to myself, I got to be the only customer for this store. This is, or this experience, this is this was tailor-made for me. How did they know I like this scent? How did they know I like these colors or this music or these clothes or these accessories or whatever? And curation can be scaled. And, you know, Ralph Lauren is a good example of someone who curated a lifestyle. And 98% of the customers that buy Ralph Lauren product don't even know what a polo horse looks like, much less been to a polo match. So it can be done, but it's extraordinarily difficult. And so I don't want to give away the story, but it's a great story in the book about customization. My wife is in a store trying on jeans that is her favorite store. It's completely curated for her. The proprietress, a woman named Tess, is there and that's the key to curation is you have to have the proprietors and so if you can scale the proprietors then you can scale a curator but if you can't then you can't scale a curator and that's the lesson anyway she's been shopping there for 20 years she's trying on a pair of jeans she says these jeans don't fit i need a bigger size and the proprietor's answer was try harder so this is not customer service this isn't make me feel good wow. this is make me feel like i belong and it's a delightful shopping experience So, and then the last one is community and community people get right away. And the thing about community is it's extraordinarily difficult to create a community and it's extraordinarily easy to violate a norm and destroy that community. And so if you're going to use the community C, you have to understand that you have to be committed to that C in good times and in bad. And we can all think of companies that are going through struggles right now where there are real challenges, operational, strategic, political, what have you to a community that they've created and figuring out how to navigate that while still living up to your promises to your community, that's the crucial part. So that's the six C's in five minutes. <laughs> I love it. And then I suppose like in the third part of your book, and there's there's so much in it, but again, you know, short on time, but what advice can you give to people just to, just to help kind of develop a self-awareness 
through the lens of this, these six C's? The simplest advice that I give to companies is that it has to start from your customer. If you are sitting in a conference room debating which C's you want to put in the marketplace to your customers, you miss the whole point of the book. And the book is filled with stories of CEOs who bucked trends and were able to successfully transform businesses without doing what everyone, all the experts said that they should do. In fact, the experts were screaming that they were doing it wrong. And invariably, when you ask these people, one of the companies that I read a lot about is Target. You know, when it looks like a, it was obvious now, but when Brian Cornell was investing billions of dollars in store infrastructure, Wall Street and all the experts said he was crazy and this was a huge mistake. Of course, it was not a huge mistake. When he's asked, and he never really, he, does, he doesn't do publicity, he doesn't really speak a lot, but occasionally he will do something and be asked. He just says, this is what our customers were telling us they wanted. And that sounds so simple. And people say, well, I don't need your book to tell me that. And I'm like, yeah, you kind of do. Because how often do you feel like you are at the center of the business model of the company you're interacting with? I would speculate it's very, very, very infrequently. So just think about it. That's the beauty of this book is we're all consumers as well as business people. So anyway, so that's the advice is you have to start from the consumer and then you have to make the hard choices about how to change things in your business. And I give some examples of how to do that in the, in the last part of the book. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know that episode two of Offscript, our new series of candid conversations with Intercom, all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing, is out now on YouTube. Here's a teaser featuring our chief product officer, Paul Adams, discussing AI-first customer service. The best place for me to start is that Technology only moves in one direction. Once you go through these like before-after moments, you never go back. AI has clearly already shown us that it can help in transformational ways. It has given us a new way to do customer service. And that new way is AI first. The business that provides incredible customer service is the business that will win. And the earlier that people lean into this completely new mindset, the earlier they can deliver this incredible holy grail type of customer experience. It's a huge opportunity for businesses to literally change how people think about them. It's just a matter of time. That's all to come on episode two of Offscript. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel right now and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. I can't let you go without asking about what you think about ChatGPT and AI yeah. and how that's going to affect CS and all of this going forward. So ChatGPT is just like e-commerce, just like buy online, pick up in store, just like virtual showrooms and, and augmented reality and virtual reality. ChatGPT is just another element that companies can use or not use to provide experiences to their customers or operational efficiency inside their business. We don't really have long enough here, but my, what I would say about chat GPT and AI in general is it's problematic to think of it as predictive for the same reasons that personalization is problematic to think of it as predictive. Because by definition, it cannot be predictive. 
And the things that human beings do is they take signals and experience and think about future outcomes and then make choices based on those outcomes and present consumers with options. AI can't do that. AI can only take things that really happened and then present you with options or choices. But I do find it to be an incredibly interesting place for companies that can't spend enough money to provide the level of customer service they need. If I have to wait, you know, yesterday, I, I, I won't name the company, but I needed to interact with a financial institution on a very mundane topic. They had a chat box on their website. It was a bot for about three seconds. And then it figured out what my thing was, is we're going to connect you to an agent. And it said, you know, you're very important to us and the next available agent will be ready in, in approximately 17 minutes. That's not good. And if you can't get enough people to satisfy your customers so that they can get on chat in two or three minutes, then then you probably want to think about deploying some sort of AI to get people through the process faster. And that's an example of what I talk about in the book. So so I'm a, I'm a big believer in it. It's exactly how we started. ChatGPT and artificial intelligence are not a revolution at all. They are simply another tactic that you can employ or not employ. The revolution is understanding that companies no longer control the narrative. Companies are no longer in the power position that they were for millennia. That's the revolution. Love it. And lastly, where can people go to keep up with you and your work online? So the best place to find me right now is LinkedIn. I'm still transitioning. I had a very long, very successful career running a global consultancy, the retail consumer practice. At the moment, LinkedIn would be the place to find me. Joel Bynes, it's easy to find. If they'd like to connect, they can connect. Over time, I'm also on Twitter at Joel underscore Bynes. But LinkedIn is sort of the main place. And I'm fairly active. So if people want to reach out and engage in a dialogue, I would encourage them to. And, and you can pick up the book anywhere books are sold, as they say. Perfect. I'll put the links in the show notes. Joel, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Liam. This has really been enjoyable. Thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate your time today. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Joel Bynes. You'll find a full transcript of today's show on the Intercom blog. The link is in the show notes. I'll be back next week for more Inside Intercom. Thanks for listening. This is Inside Intercom.